1: here we go check it out now welcome to the story studio a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing independent art and the future of storytelling my name is luke condor with Kate, and daniel wilcox isn't here today but mr b ben b b b b b ben errington is here here. (laughs) and we've got a, a lovely guest We've got Mr. Russell Nolte of uh, 1B Press and the Business of Art podcast. Today, we're talking about selling yourself to make
0: your living as an artist. Um, how are you, Russell? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. I mean, I, we were talking before the show that it's been rainy the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's been nice the last couple of days, so I'm super happy about that. Cool, cool. So
1: what is, uh, what's everybody been doing creatively? they been writing stuff, uh, crowdfunding stuff. What have you been up to, Ben?
2: Um, well, um, along with yourself, um I've been planning the very first Hawk and Cleaver Kickstarter campaign for the soon to be released issue one of Post Apocalyptic Luchador Superhero Extravaganza El Marvo. Which has uh, been pretty exciting, I think, so far. It's been it's been good. It's been fun putting it together.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was quite inspiring, well, maybe not inspiring not the right word, but to see Sync fund in like twenty four twenty Five hours or something ludicrous
2: like yeah, that yeah yeah well it, it, i think they did they did do it in a day didn't
0: they yeah that was yeah it cool. was pr- it's pretty awesome i mean one of the great things about having tyler on your team and like publishing your book is he's got a pretty massive audience and reach especially with kickstarter so yeah, yeah. you know that was his goal like he said five grand in a day and i'm like i remember the days were like five grand in a whole campaign i would have been like flipping out for yeah, we're not asking for that much, Jim. I'm pretty nervous already. Well, I'm trying to raise uh, $20,000 on this new campaign. And the mo- I've raised a total of $21,000 in five previous campaigns. So I'm basically trying to like double up at minimum um, in order to uh, to get this thing funded the right way. Yeah. Is that what you've been working on recently, Russell,
1: just getting that whole campaign together?
0: Uh I would love to say yes, uh, <laughs> but as the years have gone on, my responsibilities have gotten more and more. I'm actually – I have my uh, fifth novel uh, that I'm editing. I just got back from um, my editor yesterday, so I'm going through and trying not to pull my hair out with all of the changes and all of the edits that I have to make. Um uh this one is a little, this book's called the vessel and it's the most commercial book i've ever done so it's the one that i've been it's been hardest for me to write because like my shit is super weird and like the title of my comp, like the tagline for my company is weird books for weird people and like i'm trying to make this book that is still a little bit weird but uh kind of like the the opening bridge to like stuff that i can that 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 I would do everything that I do is very strategic. So like this one is like, okay, I know you as a regular, like house mom and like, the middle of Kentucky aren't going to read a book where like the narrator is God and he's watching karma shit on the richest guy in the world for 300 pages because he's basically a computer programmer and the car, and this is a karmic anomaly. I read
1: that. So I'm like,
0: maybe, (laughs) maybe you'll read something like it's under the dome, you know, like more like under the dome, but set a million years in the future. So, um, that's the book that I'm, that I'm writing and editing now. And then I, I just did some pitches at some, uh, some, um, at Nick and CW, it's not CW, uh, Cartoon Network, uh, the last couple of weeks. And then throughout there, I've been sporadically working on the campaign. But I learned long ago that I need three months to plan a campaign so that I'm not freaking out. So um, I, I, what I used to do in two weeks, I now do over three months. That's interesting. It's taken us about uh,
1: a year, Ben, to put
0: hours together. <laughs>
2: well yeah but, but i think from actually settling down to work on the campaign it's probably mm. only been the last month isn't it really yeah obviously every, everything's been coming together behind the scenes before that but the actual yeah. knuckling down and planning a campaign i guess has just been a month russell it's interesting yeah,
1: oh sorry ben go on no go on man Don't... i was just gonna say russell it's interesting that you're writing uh to a to a market in, in essence because that's sort of pretty much what we've just done yesterday we launched our first written-to-market book, which is like a post-apocalyptic dystopian book called They Um and that was very strategic for us. So I know personally, I write more surreal, I guess, Charlie Kaufman-esque stuff normally, but um, this is our first attempt at writing to, we know there's a hungry market there, so we're going to just bridge that gap to those guys.
0: Yeah, you know... I, I live in L.A. and I worked in movies and TV for a while. And there's this thing with actors, successful actors. And they go, why are they on these weird movies? And then like this, like, why does he do the Joker? Why does Jared Leto do the Joker and then like five weird movies? And there's this thing uh, with agents where it's like you do, I do one for you and one for me. Yeah. So it's like I do one that pay the bills and then I can spend two years like making all the weird stuff that I want. And if you look in roughly every creative pursuit, uh, there are the ones that you can kind of tell are the mass market, most commercial books. And then the ones that people are kind of like exploring this weird part of them. Now, yeah. s- some authors, uh, they just have a really commercial appeal. Like I would say like Michael Bay as a director, like that's just his sensibility is super commercial. And that's cool. All of his movies are commercial, but a lot of people have a much more artistic, weird side. And so you kind of kind of have to um, combine that with or like move back and forth between this weird kind of like for me it's uh it's douglas adams meets kurt vonnegut meets terry pratchett and like uh what you would expect for like the hunger games and i i I think that most most artists don't uh like think that they can do it with just their tiny niche audience but most times you need these sort of at least a few bridge books where like a, a mass audience will go and find it, and then might trickle back into your weirder stuff.
1: Yeah, I like the I like the one for me, one for them sort of uh, technique, I guess, because you you sort of do those ones that are going to pay the bills that are going to give you a bit more freedom to do the more experimental work. Um, and it, you know, everyone does it. I think Steven Soderbergh does it. Um, I, Charlie Kaufman is the only person I think who doesn't do it, but he doesn't make many movies, and that's probably why.
0: Yeah, and some people can live with their little niche audience. I mean, frankly, I would be happy if just like a bunch of weird people who liked monsters read my book. But unfortunately, um, I I have grandiose plans of like, you know, writing one book a year. You It's really hard to write one book a year and be able to sell it to a very niche group. You generally have to feed that like – more niche beast more often than just one time a year. So if I want to hit my goal of writing maybe one book and one graphic novel a year and being able to fund it and then have money left over to do conventions and all the things that I want to do, you know, I have to have a bigger audience than just, you know, this very tiny niche that I've developed is. And frankly, um, what ends up happening when you have these big sort of like this big book is uh, the people in your niche still read it. And then people that aren't in your niche kind of read it too. And that might tell people who are then in your niche also. So it's kind of this like lead magnet thing that you have going here where uh, a a lot more people are able to find you, both that will love all of your books and might just love those few books, but tell other people, to read your stuff, and it just sort of emanates out from there, so you can build your audience. Yeah, for sure. It sounds
2: like just casting a really big net. Yeah. In order to drag in as many people as possible, and then you know some people are going to like yeah. everything you write, some people are just going to like like one or two things, but then you've got them, you've got everybody, and they're going to see everything you release.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so before we uh, dive into the real topics today, we should probably do the big whoops for the week. Uh, so uh, has anyone got a defend they've done? <laughs> uh seen, heard what, what's going on ben do you want to go first uh,
2: uh yeah yeah sure um i'm gonna say my big whoop for the week is uh resident evil 7 which i've been playing sort of quite sporadically this week um i, I was really unsure about it initially because it's first person which is you know pretty crazy for the series obviously a complete a complete uh, change for the series but after probably only being about 3 hours in it is a return to form and uh, survival horror is back it is absolutely terrifying yeah. it is one yay. of the most <laughs> yeah it's one of the most engrossing like video game experiences i've had uh in the probably the like last year or something but cuz it's just it's just crazy it's just absolutely terrifying i'm not playing it in vr cuz i just don't think i could handle it I'm yeah just, yeah you know, uh, Possibly, possibly, kill me.
1: I struggle with horror games generally. Like I love horror films and I love horror books. And stuff, but <laughs> horror games, me being an active participant, just terrifies me. So being the VR side of it as well, it would it would give me PTSD. I'm sure it would.
2: There, there, there are a few parts in this game where I know if I was playing it in VR that I probably would never go back to it. Such a No, just no, just no. Have <laughs> you played Outlast, Ben? Um, I've I've played a tiny bit of Outlast. I think I maybe had a demo of it, but that similar sort of vibe, I guess similar sort of atmosphere where everything's just it's just sort of like the just not just the soundtrack but just the sound effects from everywhere there's always like a door somewhere closing we're like what the hell was that there's a creak of a floorboard and it's just it's just so well crafted to create the ultimate uh survival horror experience and there's a lot of throwbacks to sorry callbacks to the like original games in the series which really make it feel like a resident evil game because from hmm. playing the demo the only Probably the only thing I didn't like about it was that it didn't feel like a Resident Evil game. It just felt like any kind of cookie cutter first-person horror game. Yeah. But then as you sort of progress and you get more into the story and more into the atmosphere, you realise it's just it is just a classic classic Resident Evil game.
1: Yeah. What's your favourite Resident Evil game? If you don't mind is this it or? I no, no,
2: the first one. The first, first one. one. Okay. Yeah, it's weird because I've kind of enjoyed them in order that they've been released. Mm. So the first, the first and the second, were like the two for me. But then that's, that's the, similar, the similarities between the first and the second and this one, in terms of atmosphere and in terms of when you finally get into a safe space and the, and the soundtrack tells you that you're in a safe space, that <laughs> relief, that relief is just, is you can't, there's no words to describe it. Have, have you guys played this at all?
1: Not the new one. Uh, the only Resident Evil I've, I've played properly in the Way 3 was Resident Evil 4. And I don't think that one was as scary as some of these older ones. But there was a really yeah, that- terrifying guy with a, like a a uh, sandbag mask and a chainsaw, constantly chasing yeah. after. He was he, he was pretty scary.
2: Well, Resident Evil Four was sort of like more. It was some more action packed. Yeah, yeah. Still, still pretty terrifying, and there were some bits which were genuinely terrifying. In Resident Evil Four, there was a there was a uh, an enemy called a Regenerator, and that whole section was was shit your yeah. pants. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you if you guys get a chance to or you're interested, definitely give Resident Evil yeah,
1: Seven a shot. I think I will. Shot. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of like genuine scares as well, and it doesn't rely on cheap jump scares. It's just like the atmosphere builds and builds, and then the scares like are, just feel real.
1: Hmm.
2: So yeah, I, I recommend it. It's great. Awesome.
0: What about you, Russell? Yeah. What uh, have you got? A big work for us today? Ah. Uh... All right, so I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts, so I'm going to give my big whoop to Marketing Made Easy by Amy po- uh, Porterfield, which is a probably the best singular podcast that I've listened to about marketing and it literally does make it easy and it actually gives actionable advice every single episode. So if you want marketing advice and now it's geared towards people who uh who who make online courses. Yeah. So like she makes online courses, so you got like it's not 100% Uh, that you can take away but I would say if you're trying to start an online business and make it actually successful uh, some of the things that she talks about about like planning strategies to launch and all of these little pieces um, have been very very uh, effective when I've implemented them in my own business and I think I went through these 150 or so episodes I went through about 70 in a week Um, all free and all everyone has like its own little download piece yeah are you uh, a big podcast listener? Yeah, I love podcasts, yeah. but like Me not too. the podcast that most people listen to. Like, yeah. I listen to all boring business ones, but I find them <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, like business ones. But um, I've know, listened I did, like, to ser- uh,
1: like at least sixty percent of yours now, Russell. <laughs> I did tell you I was going to do that, and I just can't help it. I just get sucked into podcasts. Well,
0: I'm. I'm glad that like it was it, it was it was suck in worthy. I don't know yeah. how to say that less, uh, less like kind of nastily. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We kind of moved, so we were doing twice weekly, and this at the beginning of this year, we moved to just mostly doing interviews and only interviews um, uh, once a week, and then uh, sometimes doing extra episodes. Hmm. But I found that. I went back and I looked at our most popular episodes and like Jim Zub was one of them. And, uh, Matt, um, Margo Atwell, who's from Kickstarter, uh, was one of them. Yeah. This well, it's pretty like, it really good. Yeah. It was, thank you. It was, it's the first time I've ever heard someone from Kickstarter on a show yeah. on a podcast before. So like, I was pretty excited to like get her. It only took like a year yeah. of like, of communicating with her and the person who, uh, uh, was my old kick, uh, Kickstarter contact, but yeah, I mean, I, I like that podcast because it's uh, it's actionable advice. But there's something about listening to an interview with somebody. Like I have Dirk Manning coming up, and Tyler uh, James yeah. is going to be on it, and DJ Kirkbride who won an Eisner for a Pop Gun, and just there's something about listening to sort of the organic in uh, uh, interview that kind of. I don't know i feel like it kind of makes me subconsciously uh pull out the actionable advice better yeah yeah you sort of absorb it a bit better i think because it feels like you're kind of listening in on a conversation between friends
1: yeah uh so my big whoop is another bit of a marketing one um and especially if you're publishing indie books i think you should definitely take note of this so um me and and dan and we're a part of a lot of um uh indie publishing facebook groups and the thing that everyone's been going up on about this last year has been insta freebie and we kept putting it off because we kept just thinking we don't know what it is and all it is really InstaFreebie.com is a place to put up your book and uh it's just a place to send people to and in exchange for their email address they get to download your book and it sounds simple but what and you can do that on your website you can just create a landing page but <clears throat> the thing that insta freebie does it supports the people who put their books on their um, via these group giveaways, so right now me and Dan we've been up there for one day, and we're doing a post-apocalyptic giveaway, and we've got 160 email address signups in one day for free. And this was, and these are like targeted uh, leads, so they're all post-apocalyptic fans. And now we're gonna we're gonna contact them every day this next week to say, look, we've got a novel out that's this genre. Um, it's just a great website, and I really recommend it. And also, um, I've been talking to one of the reps there about, because they only do e- e-books. They they haven't really looked at doing comics yet, but I really want to find a way for them to do uh, comics. So, Russell, that's something we should talk about at some point, I
0: think, if you're interested. But InstaFreebie.com is definitely something you should check out anyway. Oh, that sounds awesome. I will definitely check it out. I actually just, do you guys do noise trade? Uh, I've not heard of it, to be honest, no. It's kind of similar, similar thing, except that you can, you can get a tip. So like one of the things that they do is like you can give, leave a recommended tip for like how much you should oh, uh, give to your people. Yeah. And they do do graphic novels. So noise trade, and then they have a targeted newsletter that you can be featured on. You pay, um, like $75 or $200 depending on where you want to be in the newsletter. And, uh, then it goes out, but same thing, like in exchange for the email address, you get to download the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I know, uh- Cap- capturing email addresses is, is is big on uh uh for you and, and your business russell i think um so me and ben just did the six-day course that tyler put together uh, and your lesson was on there sure it did uh, to get the
0: facebook contacts yeah it's a very controversial <laughs> thing whenever i teach it so um it's by, it's, so there's two things that I teach that are really, really controversial. Uh, there's that one. And then there's this thing that I teach called how to build your audience from scratch, which is basically how to steal your ideal audience without like, like without with relatively no effort by just using what's on the internet already. And there's a section in there which talks about how to friend influencers um, and kind of like uh, take advantage of the fact that influencers can't look at everybody that is on their list and approve them. So like kind of how to make you look more appealing to influencers in your niche. And uh, I call that daisy chaining. And uh, (sighs) both of those are super controversial. Like, and I tell people the same thing is I don't care. I don't care if you use it. All I care about is that it works and that you can use it very effectively and i've used it to raise thousands of dollars and become friends with like jimmy palmiotti and you know name drop name drop other people and a lot of the people that i have in my anthology i made friends with that way initially so again i don't care if you use it i just am telling you it's there and it's and it's able to be a very effective way that you can uh, supercharge your social media and mailing list today Do you mind
1: if we just quickly mention that, uh, tell the listeners what that tactic was? I mean, not not in detail, but just to let them know what what the idea was. When the uh, six
0: day Kickstarter challenge was? Yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, so basically, uh, you can import all of your uh, Kickstarter contact, your Facebook contacts into Yahoo and get all of their email addresses and then email them.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that sounds, it sounds simple, but I don't know why. I mean, I can sort of see why some people. Depending on you know who what populates their friends list would be a little bit against it. I mean, I filtered out a lot, but
2: yeah, yeah, um, me me too, and and I, I I even I had a few sort of responses like, uh, how the hell did you get my email address?
0: Uh, did you? <laughs> but let's
2: yeah, be fair, I, I think only yeah, a handful of people unsubscribed from the list.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know and, what? Uh, I had like five thousand people. And I and I uh, unsubs- and I filtered out zero. I put zero into groups. I just literally sent one email out to all of them, and um, uh, about thirty percent open rate as opposed to the fifteen that I have for normal stuff. And I got the normal crap that you get for that too, and the unsubscribes and some people complained. But I also made a. F- can I curse on this show? Yeah,
1: yeah, curse. Yeah,
0: yeah. A fuck ton of money. Like I also like I I had strong. people email me and say, <laughs> thank you. I didn't even know your campaign was going on. And it had been like three weeks of me pounding social media. I haven't known you now, I haven't known y'all since I was doing a campaign, but I'm telling you, it's super fucking annoying to be on my Facebook feed during a campaign because <laughs> it's like 10 times a day. Every time someone backs, I'm posting about it. Every time there's an increase in pledge, I'm posting about it. It's a constant barrage of crap that's on your feed. And I would I sent these emails out being like, oh, what am I going to get? Like one or two other people? And like <laughs> dozens of people, dozens of people like either responded, I didn't know your campaign was going on, or thanks for this, or they went and they donated from that email. And so again... I'm uh, well, maybe not again, but I'm a big proponent of I don't give a fuck if you don't like what I'm doing. I only give a fuck <clears for> to <throat> people that do like what I'm doing. Yeah, you do I, don't like what I'm doing. Guess what? Unsubscribe. <laughs>
2: yeah. How many t- How many times during the campaign did you email all of these contacts?
0: Two. Just twice. So, at the beginning and the end. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's I, not- I have other email lists. Yeah. that I do like all the time but those are people that intentionally wanted to be on the list
1: yeah we've got like six lists now uh based from various different uh sources and some of them i don't give a shit how often i email them because they were very like they only got on the list to get something free that was only vaguely related to us so i'm not they're not they're not my friends you know what i mean they're potential customers (laughs) as cold as that might sound Yeah, uh, but like my granddad's on my Facebook list. I'm not going to email him like every other day saying fucking back my yeah, campaign. And the, <laughs>
0: and, and the email list is also a lot different where, you know, when with that email list, I, I always – the subject line is always something like, hi, John or yeah, hi. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know my campaign's live now. We're trying to raise $16,000. I absolutely don't expect you to support me. Um, if you do want to support me, this is where you can go. Yeah. If you like monsters or this, this is the stuff. And so I'm very like, polite with that email because it really is just hey, just so you know. Mm. Whereas the last campaign that I did with my regular list, um, was like I, I sent an email, uh, the- every week, and then two days before the campaign was over, the day before the campaign was over, twelve hours before the campaign was over, two hours before the campaign. Mm-hmm. The- campaign was over and the minutes before the campaign was over and like i'm not doing that with that other list yeah uh, because i know two things about that facebook list is like there are a bunch of people that really want the book i mean it's a great fucking book and most of my friends are like comic creators so like they do want an email about it and facebook sucks because they don't show posts to everybody and i know but i know a lot of them also um are um I don't want to say lazy, but I'm going to say lazy. They're not really time-sensitive people. So they're going to wait till the last minute. And so I want to send that last email to be like, hey, by the way, um, I know you're a lazy son of a bitch. That's okay. Like, I'm a lazy son of a bitch too. But, like, I just want to let you know this is the last chance to, like, get this thing. And then it's going to be way more expensive later. Or we're not even going to hit our goal, so it's not going to be available in hardcover. So, like, if you want it, get it. If not, like we're still cool. We're still friends. Like no worries.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I won't back a campaign because I'm skint and then I'll think I'll think, okay, I'll wait till the payday and I'll, I'll I'll back it then. But by the time that's rolled around I've forgotten. So sometimes I do need that extra email at the end just day. to remind me to you know to, to to get involved.
0: I thought by sending an email thir- so I like the last campaign is the first one I did twelve hours before, two hours before and thirty minutes before and I said no fucking way someone is going to back at 30 minutes no like they just literally got an email an hour and a half ago like and i got like 300 extra dollars in that last 30 minute email including one person who pledged for a 100 bucks and was like oh yeah i totally forgot about it i was like you just got an email an hour and a half ago like what do you mean you just forgot about it yeah. so like <laughs> again these are things you may not want to employ but if you like money you may want to consider employing it because I promise you... Well, I don't promise you. I don't promise shit. But, like, the people that don't like... that The, the people that care about you and actually like you, mm. I'm not saying we will support you, but they'll go, fuck, that's annoying. But it's at least it's just for this campaign, and then they'll let it go. The people that aren't going to support you and probably don't like you when you shouldn't be friends with anyway, they're the ones that are going to unsubscribe and complain and be an asshole. But, like when when I started thinking about it this way where I was like I I this is my full-time job like I have basically two months a year to make my to make money and print books like this is so like hey man if you want if you don't understand that in two months I have to do 12 months worth of work like cool man we shouldn't be friends but like I need to to be doing all of this shit which I don't like doing I don't like emailing people 20 times a day and like doing Facebook events like that's not how I want to spend my time I want to create cool shit but I understand that and most of the people on my friends list and most of the people that I email and communicate with understand and at this point now want me to email them when cool shit happens because we're of the like mind yeah so um
1: so you mentioned that your your uh, creative business wannabe press is kind of diff- different then most of the businesses that we uh talk to or are involved with a lot of the publishing community doesn't go to kick ebook publishing community doesn't really go to kickstarter um not the ones that we hang around with (laughs) but like only when we started (laughs) to get into the comic book world did we see that kickstarter was not only like a helping hand it was it was a massive pillar of, of their sort of businesses is that how you is that is that is that how it works for wannabe press
0: so we ran three publishing campaigns last year and they were uh, the most miserable three months uh, because outside of my uh, I mean, I'm not talking about comics, it's just like books and kids books hmm. out uh, a the, the, because anybody can post a project. The uh, publishing side is littered with garbage, like people that don't have covers, that don't have anything, that don't know how to write anything. Comics is not so much like that because at least there's art and with art comes investment and with investment comes knowledge on some level. But uh, there is a underlying current of uh, resentment or distrust and just general um, um, resistance to self-publishing in traditional books Mm. Um, with comics. It, there's none of that. It's almost the rite of passage. Like, no one gives a shit. In fact, if you get to D.C. before you – like, nobody gets to D.C. before they've worked on independent books. It just – it very rarely happens. And so um, there's none of that. in fact, like, almost all the success stories in comic books that are not Marvel and D.C. have come from, like, somebody, like, doing a book themselves. Uh, so – Kickstarter for comics works great. If you, if you go to press outlets and ask them about reviewing like comic book properties, they are all over that all yeah. over it, all over it. They, they will do it. They'll put you on podcast. Like I'm on right now. You go to book podcasts and talk about a Kickstarter or like pre-orders. It's like fucking crickets, man. It's not even yeah. like, no, thank you. It's just like, uh, you might as well be dead. Um, so there's, but you, I, I think you need both because comic books are a niche market. Most comic book people like books. They, they even if they don't read that much, um, book people are. But uh, so like having comics, they're also really be, much better sales at shows. But books. Have uh, a much wider audience, and once the book is out, you can make it an ebook, you can make it a physical book. There's so many more things that you can do with an ebook that you can't do with a comic. My comics, don't matter how great they are, will never be an audiobook ever. Yeah. It might be a motion comic, but you can't really make a motion comic for cheap. An audiobook you can make i mean, you could go to ACX and make it for free
1: yeah. And that's, that's like um, almost like the the ABCs of self-publishing ebooks now. You do the ebook, you do the print book, you do the audiobook. Like, whereas comics is, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm kind of nervous because I feel like we're stepping into a whole world that we, I've, done, I've just not done it before. I've never done it before. So there is that sort of resistance there. How do you feel, Ben, right now? So we're, we're launching in about two weeks' time.
2: Yeah, so we were going to aim for possibly the thirteenth of Feb, possibly around. Um,
1: I think that's a day before Russell's next campaign. Does
0: that? Yeah, ours is launching on Valentine's Day because fuck love monsters are better. Cool, <laughs> that's a that's a nice campaign. Yeah,
2: um, so, I, it it does feel a bit strange. It does feel like stepping completely into the unknown because it's our first campaign. Personally, I mean, I feel confident, but I also have absolutely no idea how it's going to go. I mean, yeah. I feel like we've prepared, we've prepared. I feel relatively well enough and I feel I feel you know invested in absolutely everything we've been doing and I know I'm going to be active in really really pushing it from the second we click live but
0: still I still have absolutely no idea how it's going to go absolutely none yeah well in all fairness I'm launching my sixth campaign and I have no idea how it's going to go (laughs) I mean I'm relatively sure it's going to go like all right Hmm. but all you can do with any launch, like I have a episode of my show, which is uh, any launch. Every every product launch is filled filled with fear, which is one of my first episodes. And it, it, there's a gut check, man. Like there's a every launch doesn't matter if it's a dollar. I did a dollar Kickstarter campaign last year. I did a uh, I'm doing a sixteen thousand dollar launch uh, this time. Every fucking time. Every time it doesn't matter how I know I know exactly what to do and I'm still fucking terrified. So you're yeah. in the right like if you're terrified, Ben, or like you don't know what's gonna do, you're right. Like it, it like there's an there's there's a, an element of of just the unknown with all entrepreneurship. It's yeah. I mean, you just hope that you've done enough pre-work and that you've talked to enough influencers and you can get over that number. But one thing that I will say, if you're launching a Kickstarter is even if the first one fails, um, you have a data point. And there's nothing more important in the world than data. Well, I mean... Weed and, yeah. <laughs> and booze and love and sex are pretty love. good. Yeah. But like for, um, for uh, as, as far as business goes, there's nothing more important than data. And if you make a $2,000 goal and you only hit $100, you have a data point for next time. You know I have an audience of 200 people and I was able to raise $100 from them. Well, what was wrong? Like, what what happened? Like, oh, maybe I targeted the wrong people, or maybe I didn't target enough influencers, or maybe the product market fit is bad, or maybe the art style is not good. It could have been anything. Meanwhile, if you try to raise 100 and you raise $2,000, you will have other data. You'll say, okay, so I had this amount of audience, and this is how much – and this is – like, people always fear the first launch. I think the first launch is the hardest because you have no data. You have nothing – $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, uh, novel. I had no data. It's nothing. It's no data. Ooh. Like, I'd had data for two comics, no novels. So I had to build, like, data over the course of, like, a year of, like, what might... What, what I, I knew how many people from my web, from my comic book list would go to my regular list. And I had some metrics, but the more data that you have, the more confident you will be and the better your launches will be. So I would say even if you totally bumble this launch and it's like you raised fucking 20 bucks, which has happened. I've seen people raise zero, literally zero dollars. They couldn't raise like a fucking dollar from their mother. Yeah. Um, you'll have data on some level of like where you can correct and, 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 and make it successful the next time. Or you'll be able to say, well, I tried kids books, which I did last year. And as much as I love the two kids books we have out, like they just do not work. They don't work in my market. They don't work at fucking all. In fact, if anything, they destroy sales. Like they actually hurt sales of my other books. So, I can get out of the kid book market knowing the data that is encompassing that 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 is um, you know, having yeah. all of the data now. And those two books that we have were profitable, relatively profitable. But what happens is, no, I mean, they were they were for sure profitable. like like very, very in the black, yeah, but you see how everything interacts with your table and how everything interacts with each other. And you see, as time goes on, who the audience is, who's gonna buy, and then you have data. So, like, you should breathe easy that at the end of this campaign, even if you fuck up and you get make no money, at least you have data to relaunch better next time.
1: Yeah, I mean, even our uh, friends uh, Ken, who's uh, he he does like a, an anthology comic, an experimental comic anthology. He um, they launched one campaign for. This printed edition a couple of months ago and it failed completely. And they've relaunched a couple of weeks ago and I think they're pretty much funded now. And like, I don't think they've changed that much in the campaign, they've just come back with a new tactic, I guess, a new strategy. So, I mean, even if we do fail, I'm not going to be it's, I don't even know why I'm scared really because I'm not going to be that bothered. I've, <laughs> I've failed in way, I've failed in so many ways <laughs> in so many <laughs> aspects of life. This is. This amazing. isn't going to be a big big one at all
0: and i'm confident yeah, well,
1: I, and i think the comic's good i mean the art's good i think the we've got like all the actual little goodies and and um even a theme song <laughs> like i i actually think it's very very cool so I, I don't know what i'm
0: moaning about i don't know man like i was this morning this morning and not two hours ago uh just in the worst doom and gloom scenario in my in the world of like everything everyone's gonna hate it it's gonna raise no money like what am i doing i should just go and like get a job like i think that's part of i think that's just part of the world of entrepreneurship of yeah. like being out there and doing your thing it's like it it's great because like I, my day is my own but also like hey guess what happens if i don't raise twenty thousand dollars in this next campaign like <laughs> I had no fucking idea. Like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess I still have a company that has other books. But, like, how do I put out these two books that uh, this group of people worked for a year on? How do I fund the rest of my line? How do I grow? Like, there's there's this. I don't think the dread ever goes away. Mm. I just think, like, you're playing with different numbers. I, I heard this on a podcast recently where it's like, hey, man, the, the fear is always the same. It's just the numbers are different. Like I'll, I, I bet you fucking Steve Jobs had, uh, had the same feeling, but he was trying to raise $6 billion to fund his company instead of like $20,000. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, like you just, you just level up, but the fear still just like, like in a fantasy game, you know, like, or a video game, you know, you can now go back and kick the shit out of that old level. But yeah. like you, it's still hard to beat this new level, like that's the whole point of like I think life. Like it's still existentially horrible to try and beat the level that you're in, even if you can go and wipe the wipe the floor with like a <laughs> with like something else.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, so another thing, Russell, that you do that we want to do that we've only ever done one of is a, a comic con. Um, we did one, it was a very very small Comic Con um, We didn't have any comics at the time so we just took our books And we took uh, uh, the cover Artwork for our Kickstarters coming up And it was fun, it was really good And we, we made some money And like I think we definitely want to do more of it But is there any any sort of advice you would give Us or the people out there Who are looking to get into doing Comic Cons Who maybe don't have the, enough stock yet or, or
0: Or They just don't know where to start with it Split tables as many times as humanly possible. Split tables. That's number one. What does that mean? Like, Sorry, again. It means multiple people sharing a table. Okay, cool. So here's the deal is most people, everybody should be able to do their table in two feet of space. A normal table is eight feet. Most artists' tables are six feet. You should be able to do your table in two feet of space. Because, and here's why. You should know where your big bangers are, the ones that will sell. I know... Exactly, had to do a table in two feet because I know that two phone, two books of mine account for ninety percent of sales. Yeah. So I don't know. The rest of the table is all fluff to get like a little bit more sales here and there. But Katrina hates a dead shit, and Ichabod Jones, Monster Hunter, are eighty to ninety percent of sales at every convention. The only time that's not true is that like, um, uh, like I did an art show. And most of the people there were like super um, like uh, not arty people, really. Mm. They were just kind of people that came in off the street. And then um, my father didn't kill himself, kind of kept on pace with Katrina. But still, uh, Katrina and Ichabod share a one-two spot. And if I just literally have them on the table, I know I will make money. So reverse engineering that, um, if a table, for instance, if a table costs $300 and I know it's only worth $80, I'm going to try and split it three ways like or four yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, the other thing is most people put all sorts of garbage on the table.
1: Um, <laughs> Do you think we put too much on the table, Ben? Can we had like a laptop playing short films and everything.
0: I mean, we it's okay. I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but like I used to, so here's the thing is I used to have one, I used to have $1 buttons, $5 prints and $10 uh, books at my table. And then, and, as I took the $1 and $5 stuff out, and I only had a $10, $20, and $30 at my table, I wasn't making more total sales. I, I was making roughly the same amount. Uh, in fact, almost exactly the same amount. What was happening was uh, I was targeting different customers, and the amount total amount that I was making was going up. So um, at any convention, um, I mean, let's just... I'm going to throw some random numbers out there. Out of 100 people, like 20 people are there for autographs. 20 people are there for buttons. 20% of people are there for prints. 20% of people are there for um, like uh, single issues like floppies and and 20% of people are there for trades. You're never going to get more than 20% of the market, no matter what. Like you're only going to be able to talk to maybe 60 people an hour. Um, I mean, for you guys, if you have two, 120 people an hour. Yeah. Uh, So um, at a convention that has 100 people, you're probably going to get 20 people. And, And here's the thing. Here's the other thing. Those people that want buttons don't give a shit about comics. The 20 people that want prints don't give a shit about autographs. Just like when I go to shows, I don't care about anything but hardcover books and trades to some level. Uh, but only indie stuff like that's all i want like some people give me free prints and i go i don't want that or they sure. ask me to trade stuff and i'm like i just like there's no reason like i'm i it's it, it's going to go behind like a thing cuz i don't care about that thing and it's the same with everybody it's not just me some people really care about buttons or pins or so the goal is to if you're going to be a publisher You want to find the people that want the thing that you want and like to target people that want buttons is different from the people that want, uh, that want books. So you might as well just target the people that want books. And then inside that market of 20 target, the highest percentage target, the highest number of sales, because if you're going to get 20 sales and maximize 20 sales, you want to spend them to spend as much as possible at that table. You're never, ever, ever, there's no way you're going to get more than like 30 to 40% of the sales ever. In in fact, in that 20% of people, you're going to maybe attract one of those 20. So every 20 people, my goal at a show is to spend three minutes every hour with 20 people and hope that two of them spend at least two to three of them spend at least $30 at my table.
1: Yeah. Are you, are you pretty good talking to people? on the tables
0: uh yeah i mean (laughs) i i don't understand how anybody gets through the end of the day and still can go to like dinner or anything because like i'm literally talking from and i get there an hour and a half early so i could talk to vendors and other people and give them free stuff too because this is something they don't most people don't do i walk around with free stuff for vendors i get cards with vendors i do all sorts of stuff with vendors because they are the ones they are the ones that are super passionate about the thing. you want to sell shit to people? Go sell it to the people who've just spent $300 at a tape.
1: Yeah. Like yeah.
0: they really fucking love the thing that they're doing so much so that they're willing to spend hundreds of dollars and probably not make money um, on the thing. I was just next to a person yesterday at the last con, at the end of the con, she counted all of her money and went out and spent like $400 on stuff, just because she liked the stuff yeah. that's how you get to be vendors. I'm not saying you should do it so that they buy. you should definitely make friends because those are the people who have audiences. those are the people that can get you in front of their audience if they like you and you and and you're friendly like those people are influencers that have hundreds, if not thousands if not tens of thousands of fans who who with saying or with a tweet or an email can say hey this is really cool you should go check it out and boom you could have just made like hundreds of, like a dozen sales because that guy liked you or that girl liked you
1: yeah so uh we've uh this interview's gone by very, very quickly we've been in, been in like for 50 minutes already um this is a whole interesting new world because we've always been focused on digital sales the physical thing is we're still getting a heads around we're still getting used to it so again, used to the idea of getting out of the house and uh, talking to people face-to-face.
0: <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. Um, uh, sales is two triangles. There's only two triangles that matter in sales. The first is your sales funnel, which is um, a certain amount of people who go to the top of the funnel, uh, uh, move down to the next phase and the next phase and a certain amount buy. So for me, I break this down into four sections. The first is knowing you a certain amount of people will know you. And then a certain amount of those people will like you a certain percentage of those people will trust you. And a certain percent of those people will buy from you. Hmm. So if, uh, if you need to, and you can see this in your own life, like we all have that, uh, 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 shitty uncle that we, uh, know and don't like that, like that, that friend who we like, but wouldn't trust with a dollar. And that, uh, And that guy, and and that and that uh, and and that family member who we trust, but not enough to buy their like Mary Kay cosmetics or whatever bullshit they're selling that day. But we also have that friend who you know, if you give him ten bucks, he's gonna come back with awesome shit. All of us have that guy who's like, I'll sure you want twenty bucks to go and buy some awesome crap or go to the go and buy food. Yeah, man, I'll here you. Here's twenty bucks. I know it's gonna come back. And those. So we all want we're all trying to find that small percentage of person at the bottom that that will buy that that will say, yeah, I'll give you money." I I know just over and over. I'll keep giving you money because I know it's always cool shit that you come back with. So if you know that, you know, you just have to throw a bunch of people in the fucking top of the funnel that know you. So a certain (laughs) amount of percentage of people will buy. Yeah, that's one. That's one triangle. The more important triangle is uh, the if I, I tilt that on its side and now it's about standing out. Uh, because here's the thing is let's just take books for instance. Uh, there's 300 plus let's just call it 400 million people in this country in my in America half of them want to write a book. any given year about a million are, are 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 put out. so um just by making a book um and making it available you now are ahead of uh, 199 million people, right? that's still a fuck ton of people you got to compete with i would not want to compete with a million people um so you offer you if you offer it in physical format you separate yourself a little bit more you offer you offer in hardback format you separate a little bit more you start really separating yourself out when you do things like a podcast when you uh go to shows because now especially if you go to shows and then especially if you speak on panels at shows you are now only competing with the other people at that show. So at a show, you may have 600 vendors, and that's still a lot, but you're only competing with those 600 instead of that million. And not all the 600 are doing the thing you do. So now out of that 600, only maybe 50 of them are speaking on panels. So now you're competing with 50 people. And there are other ways to like separate yourself and do all this stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to be that. Like you could also, if you're doing prints, do like a high-end prints, or do holographic prints, or offer something nobody else does. But the more you can you can take that triangle and go from like, and and stand out and go into a focused point, and you become a one of one. Which is what conventions and like doing hardcover books and printing offset and doing all this stuff. What it does is it allows you to stand out from everybody else who is doing the same thing. Because right now. Luke and Ben are one of a million people. And some people know you at that one of a million. You, know, you do things like, you know, the um the insta freebie and mm-hmm. all this other stuff to separate people. But of all the lists these people are on, all the other insta freebie lists these people are on, like you're still providing them an ebook. Mm. Now, the people at a show, <laughs> for instance, I um when I have a big ass like beautiful hardcover with spot UV um, that's printed on high quality art gloss paper. Like, yeah, it may not be everybody's jam, but everybody goes, there's nobody doing that. Like four, like five companies in the whole world, maybe 10 of comic companies print hardcovers in the high quality that we do. And I'm just one guy. So there are always these ways to separate yourself out and stand out um which is the real benefit of a convention because you immediately stop competing with a million people and you start competing with like 600 or less. Cool. I yeah. would I will always take that. I will always take that variable. I will always take that that play for attention because now I am very confident that in person I will grab as much attention as humanly possible. Like I yes if if we're all like uh like Gary V says if it, this is all just uh, uh vying for attention if we're all just bro- brokering for attention out of 600 people i am very confident that i am one of the top 10 most like entertaining people to vie for attention from at a convention
1: we uh, we've we've got a guy called Dan who's incredibly good at talking to people we're just going to push him forward to do all that performance stuff <laughs>
2: Yeah, but, yeah, uh, we, do, we we need to get better at it. In, in all honesty,
1: maybe. it does sound like something I really do want to do more of. I really want to get better at it. I would like to speak at uh, you know do do panels and and that kind of thing. So it is definitely somewhere we we would like to go. Uh, Russell, can I just ask who in the publishing world uh, inspires you and and want to be pressed? Is there anyone out there you think that's exactly what what you
0: aspire to be or or inspires you to uh, to continue on? Mike Kennedy from Magnetic Press, uh, Humanoids has been a big influence. Um, people that know their market really well and don't have to put out a lot of books to find them. I know Humanoids has put out like 2,200 books, but like over the course of like 40 years in business, uh, Mike Kennedy puts it from Magnetic puts out about a book a quarter, hmm. makes them beautiful, makes them like, like audacious prints them oversized and just makes them feel like an experience. And there's three things that you can be as a business. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but there's three areas of influence that you can compete on. You can compete to be the best, the most convenient or the cheapest. I'm not in the cheapest. I can't be in the cheapest game because I don't have the distribution to be in the cheapest game. Like alterna, Doing their, like, $1 newsprint comics. Like, yeah. they are the cheapest. Like, they're they're aiming to be the cheapest. Um, something like uh, Marvel is the most convenient. They're fucking everywhere, right? Um So they can be a little more expensive. A few people. Uh, or you can be the best. I'm never going to be Marvel because I'm not in, like, newsstands and all this other stuff. But I can be the best. Because the best is something like Ruth Chris Steakhouse, which is a very popular like high end uh, steak chain in America um, I can be that because because Ruth Chris only needs a few people to come through that door and they charge them 50 to 100 dollars a person to like on their meal but they don't need to be everywhere McDonald's needs to be everywhere supermarkets need to be the cheapest or Walmart needs to be the cheapest they compete on that game I do not have the leverage to do that. I do have the leverage to make the absolute best books because I only have the capital to make one to two a year. And so, if I need, so now if I sell a book for thirty dollars, I need to uh, Marvel needs to sell ten books roughly to make to meet that, and more really because I have no overhead. Like it's me in this room is really the and um and and Alterna. And there's nothing wrong with that. Alternatives to sell 30 copies for every copy that I sell of my book. So, again, yeah. like I, I really like uh, uh, Magnet. And it's not, it's not wrong if you want to compete on like the cheapest or the most convenient. But you need to design your product in such a way that you know that's where um, you're going to be competing. Again, to go back to the shows, one of the best things you get from a show is market research from what lights people up when you talk about it. You can see it in your customer's eyes. You can ask them, why did you buy this book? Yeah. You know, you can ask them, what did you find so interesting? And you can mold your pitch so it's the exact thing that your ideal client wants. And away from the other clients, why do you think we have a book called Katrina Hates Dead shit instead of Katrina Hates the Dead? It's because we brought 10 misprinted copies of Katrina Hates the Dead to a show one time and sold out in like 20 minutes. Katrina hates the dead. sells well, but nowhere near as shit. Why do you think we talk about mythological fantasy and that make sure we we drill in mythological fantasy instead of that it's a horror book? Because the audience for the horror books should read Ichabod and not Katrina. But we only know that because we've talked to thousands of people at, at 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 dozens of shows, along with online. But there's nothing like seeing that moment where somebody's eyes like light up and go. Because you go, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm going to do that every time. Like, I'm going to say those words every time. I'm going to say it's about a girl who gets sick of living during the apocalypse and sets out to hell to kill the devil. It's all the best monsters from Greek, Roman, Egyptian, and Judeo-Christian mythology all blended together in my blasphemous action adventure. It's like Buffy with more monsters and way more swearing. Yeah. Plus, so, th- so, you know, then you say, like, that- it's a complete... St- so you know, it's a complete story with the reason we tell it's a complete story because people ask, is it a complete story? The reason we talk about the fact that we have a bunch of back matter content with like original sketches and script to final page and process stuff is because people and pinups because people ask about it. The reason we talk about paper quality is because people ask about it. So we are able to then tailor a pitch perfect to the audience that we want and then we can move that pitch online. And we already know what the audience wants to hear.
2: Yeah. It's just collecting data again, it sounds.
0: But obviously face-to-face. Right. I mean, you just don't – when you're sitting behind a computer, uh, even if somebody buys, you don't know the reason for buying. Like you don't know what lit them up. But when you're looking at them face-to-face and you're talking to them about the thing and having a three- to five-minute conversation about that thing, you know the exact reason you can almost see the moment they decided to buy. Yeah. And like that is that when you can see the moment when they're trying, when you're, when they're ready to buy, that is like priceless because not only do you get the sale, but you get to try and replicate that and, and replicate the exact wording and exactly how you did it and what you said so that other people who love that book, We'll love it. We'll buy, we'll spend 30 bucks for Look, man, my, my books are not cheap. I tell people like my books are not the cheapest. They're the best.
1: Yeah. I and used like, to work so in 30- a, I used to work in an Apple store and uh, it was, it was during the time when iPads first came out and um, y- you became so good at working out the trigger of like, say a customer would come in, you'd know exactly who the customer was um, just by what they looked like and what they, what they, what, what they were asking for. And then you'd, Just by showing them the iPad, is showing them a few little bits and bobs. Like you could see uh, the processors ticking in their mind. You could see the magic like forming in their face, and you you knew exactly what to say to trigger that. Yeah, because you
0: want you want them to have the epiphany. Like you're never going to convince somebody. Yeah. Like you go, this is this, this is this, this is this, and you you, they go, really? That's awesome. And you go, yeah. Do you want to buy it? And they go, yeah, I want to buy it. But they had the idea to buy it. Like hmm. it's you just you're seeding it and you're seeding it. And I do a lot of shows. And one of the reasons we do a lot of shows is guess how much customer data I have for monsters and other scary shit from a year of talking to people. And 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 10 shows roughly we did what we had prints and and all this stuff like, yeah. Why do you think I call it Monsters and Other Scary Shit instead of Monsters and Other Scary Things or Monsters and Other Scary Stuff? Why do you think we have a wraparound cover and we hired Aaron Alexovich to do it? Like, why do you think I talk about all of the companies that like are that the artists inside have worked on and and that I talk specifically about what monsters mean and that it's not a horror anthology. It's a monster anthology, because that's at the end of the day, like this is. The reason that this book is different is because it's a monster anthology not a horror anthology it's about all of the great ways that monsters can be used in all throughout literature because I love monsters I I do like horror but uh, it's not my favorite genre I just love monsters because they can represent anything and this book and and when I talk to people about that I can see their eyes light up I can say hey this book's gonna be forty dollars but there's going to be a wraparound cover, and the eyes are all going to be spot UV. And it's going to be – if we hit $20,000, it's going to be glow-in-the-dark. The UV is all going to be glow-in-the-dark. And People go, oh, shit, I really want the glow-in-the-dark. I'm like, Cameron, yeah, so you got to support it. Because here's the thing is I have this little like floppy edition, uh, uh, soft cover edition. I'm like, here's the deal. If we don't hit our goal, it's still going to come out. It's going to look like this. If you want it to look way better, you got to back it. Yeah. But all of these things now, not only am I getting data on the books that are coming out uh, on the books I have, but also the books that are coming out and refining my pitch. The reason I have a new uh, nonfiction book called Sell Your Soul, How to Build Your Creative Career, which will be out later this year, because at shows, guess what happened with all the comic book people? They all wanted to make fucking comics. All the people that like bought comics wanted to make comics. And so I was like, but you're doing it all wrong. You have no idea how to like build a custom audience or Or like how to like even make something good, how to sell it, how to launch products. So like I wanted to make a product that spoke to the audience who I was seeing every week. And now we go to shows and like we had one copy of it or we had two copies of it. And now I I since gave it to a couple of beta readers. But people all day come up and say, what is that book? When is that going to be available? It's not because I'm a fucking brain scientist, brain scientist, brain surgeon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's because I—it's uh, because I—I uh, I saw the need in the audience from having hundreds of conversations. I said, "Oh shit, you like monsters? You really like monsters? How about I just do a big ass anthology about monsters?" And everyone's like, "Yes, do a fucking big ass anthology about monsters!" So everyone who buys—who bought our old books—told us what to make next. But only because we saw them at shows and saw how they got excited about monsters, and as excited as we are.
1: Cool. So there you go. Get out and do some live shows. Um, okay, so um, Russell, we're, we're at the time now where we uh, do the quickfire rounds. Are you, are you mentally prepared? Do you know what's happening?
0: I mean, I, I'm not mentally prepared. I don't know what's happening, but I'm ready to <laughs> rock and roll. Let's get this shit on the road, man. Okay, cool. Uh, number one, zombies or vampires? Zombies, but only because vampires have become pussies recently. <laughs> spaghetti or lasagna lasagna spirit animal
2: jonan vasquez <laughs> the last person
0: podcast you listen to
1: that's a typo but the last podcast podcast you listen to uh,
0: marketing in my car in your car in my car whatever russell brunson's podcast the last book you read um regional the regional office is under attack is what i'm reading right now
2: the last human you petted.
0: My wife? Yes.
1: Nice. <laughs> uh Harry Potter or Frodo Baggins. Uh Harry Potter.
0: What's your favorite book? 1984. Oh, interesting. Good choice. Well, choice. Timely. Um <laughs>
1: Okay, uh cool. So I mean uh where can uh we follow you in your work, Russell?
0: Okay, so I have a couple of places. Right now, since the Kickstarter campaign is live. Uh,
1: yeah, so this it, is going to go out
0: uh, of the, the, week, the week of the campaign. This podcast right. is going to go out, yeah. All right, cool. So the campaign is live right now as you're listening to this. Well, as long as you're in the first, like it's not April, but when you're listening to this. Um, so uh, monsteranthologycomic.com is where you can go and, and get the book. The book is Monsters and Other Scary Shit. It's a 224-page anthology about monsters. It's not a horror anthology. It is a monster anthology. It's cute monsters, scary monsters, sci-fi monsters, fantasy monsters, and a whole bunch more. The artists uh, have worked for things like Transformers, My Little Pony, Invader Zim, um, and have published with like, Space Goat, Marvel, Vertigo, um, Simpsons, and a whole bunch more. So it's just a bunch of awesome... Comic creators who um, are jamming out about their favorite monsters, because that's the only rule that I had with this anthology was, you uh, has to have monsters, and you gotta love monsters. Um, so that is at monsteranthologycomic.com for forty dollars. You get the hardcover delivered in the United States, extra shipping. Sorry guys. Um, you also get so that's gonna be a hardcover with spot UV on all of these cool yellow eyes, which you can see on the page. Um And you also get a digital download of the cover, which everybody loves. I've been following Aaron Alexevich, who's the cover artist's work for a long time, and I still think this is his best cover he's ever done. And then the uh, PDF and CBZ file of the book, all for forty dollars delivered uh, delivered to you, no additional shipping charges unless you're international. Um, sure. If you want to check out our uh, my podcast, Thebusinessofart.us will take you there. It's also available on iTunes. It's It helps creatives build better businesses. During the launch of this campaign, we are bringing on a crap ton of awesome anthology creators Dirk Manning, uh, Brandon Perlow, who uh, was Eisner nominated for Watson and Holmes, DJ Kirkbride, who won an Eisner for Pop Gun, Monster Anthologies, Gwen Dreyer, and uh, Nicholas Doan. Um, and we're even going to have a special appearance by uh, Tyler James uh, from Comics Launch. All just awesome people, and I asked them all the same question: Your top five <laughs> anthology tips. So if you want to learn about anthologies, mo- uh, thebusinessofart.us. During the campaign, I also put up all my live uh, my live um, uh, panels. I'm going to be hosting one with Mark Wade and Amy Reader and Dean Haspiel um, at uh, Comic Creator Conference. And, uh, then my pod, my, my company site is wannabepress.com. So in order, uh, uh, monster anthology comic to pick up my dope ass anthology, um, the business of art dot us, you can quit sucking at business. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and wannabepress.com to check out my dope redesign of my site.
1: Great. I definitely recommend the people who listen to this show to listen to the business of art. Because all you guys out here, most of you are writers and publishers yourself, and I would recommend it because I've listened to most of it and it's all fantastic. Um, and it's Wait. very easy to... And I really like the little uh, intro jingle. It's uh, Thank like, you. Like, like a little indie game sort of thing. It's really nice.
0: So um, that is from cause that so that is from uh, Reply All. I, so I got that idea from Reply All and that's a great track called BitQuest from Kevin McLeod. Great.
1: Okay, so I just want to say a quick thanks to Disaster Disasterpiece for the intro and outro music, ACAST for hosting the podcast, the listeners for listening. Go to our Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver to support the show. Uh, and th- thank you to Ben, my co-host for being here, and thanks again to Russell Nolte. So thank you very much. Take care. Thank Bye. you. I'm just going to start recording. Yeah.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio
1: Podcast still hungering for some podcast goodness then why not check out our other show the other stories oh and did you know every time you leave us a review in the itunes store a puppy is born cute eh anyway toodle pip